Today on the Lazy RPG Talk Show, Crown of the Oathbreaker, the physical version is in stock. The Lazy GM's resource document is released to the Creative Commons. Open5e, an excellent site of open RPG content, needs your help. I'm going to talk about what it was like to play five different role-playing games in three days, and we're going to talk about the Patreon questions for May 2023, all today in the Lazy RPG Talk Show. I'm Mike Shea, your pal from Sly Flourish, here to talk about all things in RPGs. The Lazy RPG Talk Show is brought to you by the patrons of Sly Flourish. Patrons get access to the monthly Q&A, a dedicated Discord server, the City of Arches sourcebook, Uncovered Secrets Volume 1 and 2, a whole bunch of exclusive adventures, and a whole bunch more. And most importantly, the Patreons helping me put on shows like this. To the patrons of Sly Flourish, thank you so much for your support. All right, I'm going to have to get my weight belt on for this. Or I think I need one of those signs from Ikea that's like, no, this really requires two... Oh, man. Because I received... A physical copy. This is a, a complimentary copy from the folks at Elder Brain for Crown of the Oathbreaker. And it is, mon- like, look, it, it's, it can barely support its own weight. Like, if you hold it on one side, it's very, li- it's not actually very likely to collapse. It's incredibly well constructed. 900 page adventure and source book for the fifth edition of D&D. It is a beautiful, beautiful printed book. It's got multiple little lanyards in it. It is a sewn bound book. It'll certainly lie flat. In fact, it will probably lie. Anything you put on will also lie flat. Look at, look at that. It's just, it's, you know, I thought, like I thought Tolis, I thought Monty Cook's Tolis was about as big an RPG book as I saw. This is 50% bigger. That one's about 600 pages. This is 900 pages. It is, it is just an enormous an enormous tome. Really cool. I have reviewed Crown of the Oathbreaker, I think twice. I think I talked about their Kickstarter when their Kickstarter was going on, and I did a spotlight on the product itself. You can find a link down in the show notes to it. The main point of the... No- of the, of the Oh, I gotta, I gotta set it down. I'm not gonna drop it on my table like I did with the other one because it'll probably collapse my desk. I have a very sturdy desk that I've had for many years, but it will probably, it'll probably collapse. So you can pick up the Crown of the Oathbreaker on the elder the elder not what are they called elder brain sorry elder brain site and 75 bucks for the pdf and the print copy which is actually a pretty good deal given how big this book is 75 bucks feels like a lot but like normal books are like 60 and this is like three times the size of most normal books so if you're looking for pure content now it is it's also really well done beautiful art beautiful maps really interesting adventure pretty dark pretty dark pretty grim definitely you're going to want to be using your lines and veils and making sure everybody's comfortable with the content that you that you're going to be running but really really cool looking book beautiful artwork beautiful design really really neat Again, I will have links in the show notes where you can see where I went through the entire PDF. But the main thing is that the physical version is in stock. And I guarantee you it is not going to be in stock forever because it is really, really expensive to make books like this. You're getting a good deal for 75 bucks. So for 75 bucks, you get the PDF for the physical. You can also do the player, the, the, the bundle, which includes a whole bunch of different things, cards and handouts and stuff. And that's 95 bucks. It's still just the, oh yeah, it has the, oath, the booster cards, 107 uniquely illustrated cards. That's pretty good. Man, that's worth the extra 20 bucks, I think, just for those cards. 127 illustrated cards. So it's all, it's like a miniature Beetle and Grim set, all in one. So it's actually a pretty good look. They they're, they're, they show the size of their book in their little image there. So uh, check it out. Check out my reviews. I think they have samples available, so you can check out a sample of what you would get in this book if it, and see if it's for you. Really, really cool. Decent price. I know, 95 bucks. Oh, that's a lot of money. It is a lot of money. It's a lot of money for a lot of people. But for this kind of product, I think it's actually a pretty good deal. So check that out. Crown of the Oathbreaker by Elderbrain. I talked about the Lazy GM's resource document. So I had released some of my older books in a Creative Commons license. I talked about that, and I talked about a new thing I was working on. I was working on it with patrons on in, in, by from the support from patrons of Sly Flourish called the Lazy GM's resource document. This is material that I have taken from Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master, the Lazy DM's workbook, and the Lazy DM's companion, and said, this material I want to give away under a Creative Commons attribution license. You can use this material for anything you want. You can do interpretive dances. You can do smoke signals up in the sky. You can do plays, like small plays. You can do anything you want with this material, including commercially. All you have to do is reference the fact that this came from Michael E. Shea at slyflourish.com, and you can use it for whatever you want. And I included a lot of different material in here. There's not a ton of material from Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master, which is mostly not 
the kind of material I would expect to show up in other systems or other other sources. But I do, for example, release the eight steps of Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master so that you don't have to worry. Oh, like, do I have to get your permission to use the eight steps? You probably didn't before. You certainly don't now because you can just use it right here. But we have tons of different things that are in here. The eight steps, the, 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 the checklist for the lazy preparation process, strong start, secrets and clues, building an RPG group, session zero, safety tools, connecting characters, spiral c- campaign development, quest templates, tools for 5e improv, quick tricks for lazier 5e games, 5e quick encounter building, lazy combat encounter building for 5e. That's two different ways to do combat en- or d- to build combat encounters, by the way. Theater of the Mind guidelines extended, Theater of the gui- guidelines abbreviated, zone-based combat, monster difficulty dials, running hordes, stress effects, core adventure generators, NPC generators, treasure generators, random traps, random monuments, random items, random town events, random dungeon monsters, and lazy solo 5e all of that is available in this single html page all of it is available under a creative commons attribution license you are free to use this i put this up on reddit a few days ago that got very popular and the idea is that you can use these things any way that you want you can include them i wanted to give these to other rpg designers so that they would feel comfortable and free to use these ideas in games of their choices in supplements of their choices and products of their choices i didn't want to hang on to this stuff and be like no you have to come to me or you have to license or anything like that it's free the whole thing is available in a html file but you can easily convert it to markdown or pdf or word or any other format that you, that you want using a tool like calibri or pandoc pandoc works really well i'm a big fan it's a command line tool but you feed it one format and you feed it another i made an ebook out of it and so it's very easy to make an, an, an ebook out of it so works really well you can even send this page directly to your kindle if you want to view it on a kindle so that is available you can find that down in the show notes below and that is really again thanks to the support from patreon of Sly Flourish. And also, my special thanks to Scott Fitzgerald Gray, who edited all of the original material that was in here, and then edited it again when we made it a GM's resource document. Scott was instrumental in making sure that we were releasing the things we wanted to release, cleaning up a lot of the things that got broken when I converted it over to HTML, and, and editing the, the final piece, which actually is not published anywhere except was originally published to patrons, the la- idea of Lazy Solo 5e, how you can use the rest of the material that's in this document to run a solo 5e game. Very straightforward, simple system for running a 5e game so all of that is now available for free and for use in any product you want under a creative commons license thank you patrons for helping me helping support me to make things like this i plan on continuing to expand that resource document with other things too one of the things i'm excited to put in there it's going to be we'll probably have a separate document but then i think i can call one document from the other we'll get it figured out are some of the techniques that we're using in forge of foes we mentioned during the kickstarter for forge of foes that we were going to release some of that material under a creative commons license some of the things we're definitely going to release are like the list of common stat blocks that you could use and also the general use stat blocks the 11 stat blocks or 10 stat eight eight stat blocks eight different stat blocks different crs that you can use pretty much for anything and i've been using them a lot and i really love them so those i wanted to put in there as well so that essentially you have a very thin document that has monsters it has treasure it has adventure generating it really has a lot of material to build your own 5e games that and the 5e material that wizards of the coast puts out and you have a full game ready to go coming soon the lazy solo 5e generator built on the resource document yeah build it man go for it open up per chance grab that stuff it's pretty easy to copy and paste directly out of the document you can make yourself a little a lazy solo 5e tool that you can play just on per chance that'd be awesome have your character sheet up on your system it's done i just got to post it well crap you can post it right here if you want now arcane delver has per chance let's take a, that was wrong oh look at this Lazy Solo 5e Dungeon Room. You open the door. In the next room in the dungeon, you find a Sturge. Ah, freaking Sturges. You also find an Acidic Colossal Well, which provides plus one to AC. Roll initiative. This is awesome. Look at this. How to play. Customize your dungeon. Oh, look at this. The solo generator supported adaptation of Slifers and Lazy Solo. Oh, this is so great. Look at this. You just, when did you do this? How long ago did you, this is awesome. Yeah. Oh, God. I didn't even know this was done, but we're here live on Twitch and Archive Archive Delver sent this link. And in perchance, this great system, they took material from the Lazy RPG resource document and built a Lazy Solo 5e dungeon room generator that gives you like, here's this room, here's this thing. If once victorious, congratulations, you achieve one quest. After fourth quest, click here to encounter the dungeon boss in the next room. It's got like a learn to play, customize the dungeon. These little, oh, look at that. You can add your own monsters and lieutenants. It's got the instructions. And this is all right out of the lazy RPG generator. This is incredible. This is exactly what I wanted. I'm so happy. This makes me so happy because this is exactly why I put all this stuff up here. I'm going to cry. 
I'm not going to cry. But man, that's just awesome. That makes that that my my heart my heart is bursting in my chest. I'm really getting teary eyed because it's just awesome to see that stuff work. Thank you so much for that. I got to move on or I'm going to cry. Wipe my my tears. Just seeing that stuff out there is so great. Open5e is a website. It's completely donated, completely non-commercial. They don't advertise anything. They don't accept advertising for anything. And they have been taking a lot of open game material and making it available in a website, but also under an API so that you can call it through an API and other systems can use this stuff. If you saw my video on using Clash, a plugin that works in Owlbear Rodeo to bring more than 2,500 stat blocks worth of monsters into your Owlbear Rodeo tool with like one click, it's really, really easy. The way that that tool is able to pull that those monster stat blocks is through Open5e. I talked about Open5e before. I asked if there were developers out there who wanted to help out with this program to join the Open5e Discord server. Many of them did. And now there is this growing community of developers who are building up a better site, focusing a lot on the API, looking at how to organize the data to make it as useful as possible for other systems and converting material. I've been doing a lot of document, a lot of conversion, finding like sources where these things are available online. But Open5e needs your help. And particularly, they need help in a few different areas. I, I, I talked to the owner of the, the person who runs Open5e and said, what kind of support do you want? These are the things that came back. Converting material. There is so much OGL material out there. And there's certain material that is probably more useful than other material to convert into this system. In particular, probably subclasses. They're net, they're, we definitely need a bigger array of subclasses available for classes. There's definitely a lot of data cleanup. Things like I, I put in a lot of Vault of Magic stuff because a lot of it's under the OGL. So we loaded up the magic item section with more than a thousand magic items, but it needs to be cleaned up. I need to do more cleanup. It didn't, it didn't come across super clean. I was using it the other day. I pulled it and used it in my system and it wasn't coming out quite right. So I definitely need to clean up a lot of that. So we definitely need data conversion and data cleanup. People who are willing to do this kind of data conversion and data cleanup. They need specifically people to help with the versioning of the API. That the API right now is using an older API that was really built around the 5.1 SRD that Wizards of the Coast put out. But now there's all these new sources that are in there and there's new things that the that Open5e needs to allow in the API that's going to require a different version of the API. But you don't want to break the ones that are using the old ones. So they need somebody to help think through and anybody who has experience in versioning APIs would be very beneficial to the Open5e program. They also switched over to using, I don't know anything about Vue. I don't even know what it is. It's some kind of front-end framework that they're using for the site called Vue. Developers are doing it and they're moving from version 2 to version 3 and that's been going a little rocky. I was just using it a little bit ago and I was trying to link, click on links that I had created that go to Open5e and they're not working and they're not working because there's this kind of strange front-end collision kind of issues. So if you are experienced in uh, view and we're working with VUE view for doing front end development work. If you are familiar with building and versioning APIs, they're using all Python Django framework for the back end. So if you're familiar with Python and Django and you're familiar with versioning of APIs, they could use your help. And if you want to come and get your hands dirty and do some data conversion work of taking stuff out of PDFs and turning it into a structured format so that it can be imported in Open5e. Open5e needs your help. You can find a link down in the show notes below to join the Discord server. Join the Discord server, introduce yourself, talk about the skill sets that you've got, talk about the, the, the time that you're willing to devote to this project and help out, put your hands in. And the goal is to have an open site of open gaming material focused on fifth edition that can be used by other systems and other sources to build tools, character builders, monster builders, virtual tabletops, all different, you know, mobile applications, all different kinds of things that can then reach into these data sources and databases and bring back thousands of spells, monsters, magic items, subclasses, all kinds of stuff that really isn't available all in one place. That's what we're trying to do here with Open5e. So if you have these skill sets, if you have the time, if you have the energy to help out, please join the Open5e Discord server and introduce yourself and help out. You can find the link to join the Discord server right on the Open5e front page, open5e.com. Scroll down to the bottom and you can see join the Discord server. Click that link and that will join the Discord server. Anyway, I have odds for Watsi trying to use the API to pull stuff into D&D Beyond. Zero. One of the things about when you're the big boss, when you're the big company, you really, really want to avoid people that are like looking at you saying, oh, you stole my stuff. The odds of them pulling it in are basically zero. However, the odds that somebody else, a smaller, scrappier you know, scrappier company 
or a scrappier group of people that wants to build a competing character builder, how much easier will it be for you to build a competing character builder when you have all of the spells, all of the feats, all of the subclasses, all of the class information, and have all of that available uh, in your in a, in a, already available. So you don't have to do any of that data entry. You just need to build the front end. It'd be pretty great. Convert it. I bet you we could come up with a converter that could take all of this stuff and put it out to Lion's Den. Lion's Den is a web or not a web base it's an app for like the iphone that lets you build character sheets and stuff like that and it can take in custom xml formats a converter that could take the data from open 5e and turn into that suddenly you have 2000 spells 2500 monsters all this stuff and none of that stuff is available in open in 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 dna beyond now the one thing is wizards of the coast material that's in xanathar's and tasha's and their other sources is not released under an open gaming license they do not allow that stuff to be out so you can't include wizards Tasha's you can't include Tasha's and Xanathar's but there's a lot of people that have made a lot of different subclasses that work that are really nice and a, a big one we want to convert is the Toma Heroes the Toma Heroes is the book by Cobalt Press a lot of the materials available under the OGL and those are a lot of subclasses that you could take in and now you've got this wide range of stuff so I think that could really work. Last weekend, I went to 1D4Con, a convention relatively close to my home that has three days of gaming over in West Virginia. Really, really fun convention. Small, 150, 200 people maybe. Lots of my friends there. Lots of people I haven't seen in years because of COVID. This is the first convention I have been back to since COVID. It's really scary, honestly. I didn't get sick, so I'm very happy. And what was really exciting is I got to play five different role-playing games that aren't fifth edition D&D in three days. And it gave me a really, really good view and experience of like trying systems from super lightweight to super crunchy and all kind of mixed in together and really get a feeling for systems I had never played before. Three of the systems I had never played before. Two of the systems I only barely played. So it was really, really interesting. And I thought we would talk about it. I have one disclaimer that I want to give. I am probably going to say some things that sound critical of these systems. But keep in mind, I am not saying at all that any of these systems are good or are bad or that the parts of them that I didn't like are universally not liked. One of the things that is so wonderful about seeing all of these systems and playing all of these systems and seeing the range is knowing how wide the range of systems are and knowing that we all have different things that we want from the role-playing games that we run. I definitely have a narrow view. I was talking about this with some friends of mine. For me, I have a narrow view of the kinds of things I really want in a role-playing game. In fact, my wife and I afterwards, after we played all these games, we were taking a beautiful walk in Harper's Ferry, beautiful day, and we were talking about like if you know we were going to mix and match all the big chunks of like what we got from different RPGs, what parts would we take? Like what would we take for conflict resolution? What would we take for combat systems? What would we take for you know handling movement and stuff like that? And we were building like our own in our head, like building our own system. But one thing is like we all have different drives. I definitely get people in comments who are like, you should try system X. And I look at the system, I go, I already know that system and it's not for me, right? Like I have a particular angle that I, that I want to take with things. I have a particular angle that I enjoy in the games that I run and the games that I play. So I might say some things, right? And the things that I say are not criticism of the system as much as how I feel about it. There's rare system where I looked at it. Cause like, I can tell you right off the bat, like there'll be one. It's going to come up pretty soon where it's like, that's definitely not for me, but I was in a room full of people who loved it. Right. And I recognize like, that's awesome, right? It's awesome that there's all these people who are just really enjoying themselves and, and I enjoyed it. And then, you know, I'll get into it when we talk about, it. but I just want to make that point that like, if I say something, you don't have to tell me I'm wrong. You don't have to tell me that I'm like being a bad guy because I said this thing about this thing that you really love. I'm so happy you love it. There are things that I love that I'm sure you don't. And there are things that you love that I probably don't. So we're all cool. And the great thing about this hobby is we can all try that stuff out. So that's the first disclaimer I want to make. So the first game we played was Dungeon World. We played it the day we showed up and we played with Zach. Zach was the GM. I have played with Zach before. I think I had ran a game for Zach and his daughter a long time ago using Dungeons of Fate, my, my own like very stripped down version of Fate Accelerated set for a D&D setting. And it was great. It was, I mean, that was like six or seven years ago. And we played this game now. 
And Dungeon World is a really, really fun system. Dungeon World was one of those systems that like broke my brain a little bit in thinking about what role-playing games meant. So we were very excited to play it. And Zach surely delivered. The really interesting thing was that Zach came there with no preparation at all. He did not have a setting. He did not have a storyline. He, you know, no eight steps of return set. And he built a really fantastic game just by the stuff that we brought to the table. So we all selected our characters. We all started kind of picking backgrounds then there was some talk about like the backgrounds of who we were and where we might have come from we had to sort of describe locations of the world that we came from then describe locations of the world that were nearby we kind of generated our own quests but the quests were sort of intermingled like it was like you know every time i would get a quest and another person we kind of join the quest together and he built this wonderful tapestry of this story that went from like all of us exploring this realm going to this city all the way to us going to these like ancient giant ruins and then getting involved in this war between sort of fire giant and frost giant ancient fire giants and ancient frost giants and i think i ended up becoming like an avatar of the frost giants surrounded by a bunch of fire giants while other characters were like going to fight me in this eternal war it was an incredible game it was really really great and what was interesting is mechanically speaking even the mechanics of dungeon world were more than we needed because most of the time we were just rolling checks it was like you want to do a thing you roll 2d6 you add your modifier to it if it's a one to six you fail if it's seven to a, seven to ten you succeed uh with a cost and a, or seven to nine it's a succeed with a cost and then ten or better and and it's a full success and just based on that was how we went so a lot of times we didn't even need to use the dungeon world moves which are so critical to like these games it was mostly like well we know kind of what move it is but really you're just rolling a strength you know roll a strength check and it was amazing, like how lightweight the mechanics were and yet how big and wide the tail was. That was really fascinating. Dun then we went right from one extreme to the other, right? And that night we played Dungeon, we played Pathfinder 2. We actually had a free night. We didn't really have any games. Our friends were all kind of playing other stuff. And we were, my, my wife and I were walking around and we said, well, here's Pathfinder. Let's try it out. And so they had a thing called Bounties. And Bounties for Pathfinder 2, this is part of the Pathfinder 2 Society, the Pathfinder Society right? Which is their organized play program. And I got to say their organized play program is really, really solid monogrammed shirts, really great props, lots, lots of good material, very easy to get involved. I was really impressed with it. There's definitely a little bit of like the, when you're done with your game, fill out your, 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 your form 1099 with all of your various things on it, which I've never really liked an organized play. I'm like, just, you know, I, I just want to grow. And it was like, well, you have to have your card. And it's like, I'm not really going to remember a card. You know, it's all this kind of stuff about registration and 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 you properly marking out your character stuff you know i'm that ain't for me i just want to play i just want to play a game but very very professionally run and they had these bounties and the bounties are one hour games and it was like 50 minutes like it was really really fast game the guy that ran it was very proud of the fact that he could hammer out one of these bounties and definitely under an hour and it's basically like a skill challenge and a very quick combat against like one monster very low level i think we were level one I think everybody at the table is level one. So they're very low level, which is why they're so quick. But Pathfinder 2 is a really crunchy system. So doing anything in an hour is really tough. Now you, you bring your pre-gen, you're obviously not building a character, but we had pre-gen characters that we ran and it gave us a good idea of the system. We saw how it works. We saw how movement works. We saw about, you know, I had to remember about flanking and flat-footed and all the different things that are Pathfinder kind of based, but we got through a game in an hour. Then we played a longer game. I think it was about three hours long, which was basically a series of missions that we had that had to take place. And that one definitely gave us a feeling for how you do skills, how you do con you know conflict resolution, role-playing, e exploration, and definitely a fair fair bit of combat and, and puzzle solving and everything like that. So we got a good feeling for all the things that you can do with Pathfinder 2. Now, Pathfinder 2, I've had a lot of people who are like, oh, you should definitely cover more Pathfinder 2 in your show. Pathfinder 2 is certainly not my style of game. It's very cool that people like this game. I am really, really happy Pathfinder 2 is out there and Pathfinder is out there because I like to have something on the on the far side of like super you know, super crunchy, super detailed, but it was too crunchy and too detailed for me. When I have things like, I just want to attack a guy, but I have to see if the guy's flat footed, but flat footed isn't the same as flanking, but both of them have very similar bonuses. There's definitely this like, you know, bonus or detriment or bonus, bonus detriment. There's a lot of like stacked penalties, which really works out. Like you see it in like computer games. I want, I want a system that provides options for theater of the mind. I really am drawn to systems where like you do one thing on your turn, you have an action and that action is big and powerful and you do stuff with it. And maybe movement is part of that action, but movement is really abstract. Dungeon World, for example, there's no movement speed in Dungeon World, and you basically do your one thing each turn. And I, I'm definitely drawn more to those style of games. Many people have talked about the three-action economy of 
Pathfinder and the three action economy. Like, oh, I love the three action economy. But the things you do in those actions are pretty small. Drawing a sword is an action. Raising a shield is an action. A potion, feeding a potion to your friend is three actions. One to take it out, one to uncork it, and one to dump it down your friend's throat. That's a little too granular for me. That's definitely like... I get that you call that an action, but that's in many cases smaller than what I would even think of as a bonus action. And most of that stuff is like a free action. That's just not, I, I'm, I, when I hear action, when I think about an action, I want big stuff. I want big fantasy stuff. I don't want like one of three magic missiles. So that's not my style of game. Many people love that level. It's in the same way that like gridded combat isn't my style of combat. I don't really enjoy the difference between five, five feet. Or, or anything like that. And boy, going back to like the every other square is, is a 10-foot move on a diagonal. Oh, that got my head going in a different direction. So definitely, like Pathfinder 2 is cool. The production value is top-notch. Like those books look great. I'm very interested to see the new ones that are coming out. Pathfinder 2 is bringing out a new set of core books that they're doing under their own license and everything, clean stuff up. Definitely interested to see that. But really, this is a level of crunchy game stuff that isn't for me. I'm, I have definitely, since fourth edition of D&D, definitely swung towards the more story-focused, bigger action, bigger focus on what's happening in the world than then the details that are happening in, in the mechanics of the game. So not knocking it. People who love Pathfinder 2, they love it. And I am not taking anything away from them. That's really cool. Not really my style of game. Call of Cthulhu. First time I've ever played Call of Cthulhu. And it was really interesting. I was nervous that I wouldn't have the full Cthulhu experience, but I definitely did. The fellow, the GM who ran this name was Mike. And you know, it's a, it's a D it's a D 100 un, roll under system, it's a percentile dice roll under. So you might have a stat that says 67 and your goal is when you roll percentile dice, you roll under 67. If you roll really, really low, you there's like critical successes. If you roll really, really high, it's critical failures. Yeah. You know, really kind of interesting. What I was interested in is when I looked at the character, and this is Old West, we were doing like Cthulhu in the Old West. So the whole scenario was we were on a train. We had a bunch of prisoners who were a bunch of people that tried to rob a bank. And there's a woman on board who was some kind of witch of the old ones. And she like summoned, you know, horrible things from, from, from on high. And the interesting thing is like, I looked at the character sheet and it has like baseline stats, but, and then it has a big pile of skills and the skills are really like super detailed, like 67 and 52 and 39. So very like down to D 100 level. And I was like, why do we even need those? You've got your top level skills or your attributes. You could just roll attributes. You don't need all these skills. And then Michelle, my wife said, you know, that those are there to help you understand what you can do in the game. And I was like, that's a really good point. Like, I've never really thought about skills and, and this is probably you know, an amateur, an amateur thought for me that like, I never really thought of skills as the reason that they're there is to tell you what you can do in the game, that they're instructions. They're, they're, they're showing what kind of game it is more so than actually having mechanical crunchy bits, which they do, but really they're there to show you the kinds of things you can do. And that got me very interested. Then the, the two cool mechanics are you have like a luck and a madness level and they can start relatively high. You can burn luck to have your rolls go up, but eventually you will roll luck rolls. And if you roll badly, you know, really terrible things could happen to you. So you're eating away at your own luck. And every so often you might have to roll. And if you burned a lot of your luck to get somewhere and you roll over it, bad things could happen. I think so. Trigger warning for both mental illness or, 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 or you know, men mental, mental issues, and also for suicide. So if these issues are queasy to you, jump forward in the show for a few minutes. I did have the full Cthulhu experience. My character went indefinitely mad, jumped off the train, looked up into the sky to see a great old one, some horrid creature that was so big it was kind of eclipsing the sun as it was coming down, and I just took my hat off and in my the bottom of my 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 cowboy hat i had a tin picture of my dead wife and i looked at the picture of my dead wife and shot myself and that was the end of my my character and all the other players are like i think you got out better than most of us are going to get out and i was like yep i feel like i've had the full call of cthulhu experience so in that way it was really you know it was it was dark and grim and fun and and i enjoyed it so i think it was really it was a really fun system i really enjoyed it i liked the game a lot the gm was excellent really pacing moved along heavy story focused all the things that i really dig i love that i also played dungeon crawl classics this is the first time i ever played dungeon crawl classics i know bob world builder has talked a lot about dcc and he likes it very much 
stage. The scenario we're playing was a fantastic scenario. It was like a sort of a murder mystery slash ghost story set in the Appalachian Mountains in kind of a you know fantasy setting. And I really enjoyed that. We started at level three, so I, I didn't get the experience of the DCC funnel. So I like the adventure a lot. I don't think it was the best example of what DCC is. We didn't have any dungeons, for example, in Dungeon Crawl Classics. And I really liked... So, you know, it, it's it, it's kind of pitched... I guess it's not really pitched as a lightweight RPG, because it isn't. It's a 500-page rulebook, and you're referencing that rulebook a lot, because every spell has its own table that you roll on to determine what it does. So there's no sort of like... The rules are really just there for you to be able to reference stuff, but during the game, it's very lightweight. Like, it, if you think about the, the, the style of system, it felt very similar to what I read about with Nave, the, the game I, the, the Kickstarter that the Nave 2.0 is going on right now. And it felt, you know, kind of similar, except Nave is like three pages long, and this is 500. So it's definitely got this gonzo style, kind of wacky dungeon crawling. You're going to die a whole bunch before you ever have a character who survives kind of stuff. Lots of different weird things that can happen. And to kind of to, to kind of show how wacky it is, they've decided that the regular different seven dice of traditional fantasy RPGs, D20 based games aren't wacky enough. So let's add a D7, a D14. I think they have a D16, a D24, a D30, a D3. So they have a whole bunch of other dice, which means all these dice that you have, you really need another set of dice too. And I wasn't really, I know some people like they love the wacky dice. The wacky dice is one of the things that tells them that they're playing. So they use the Zoki dice, a different set of dice. And I was really like, seriously, like our dice aren't wacky enough. Like the D, the D8 isn't wacky enough. People already can't figure out with die is what so there's a lot of like we brought all our dice we had to borrow dice because we needed these Zoki dice and in my head i'm doing like math like oh i can do a d16 by rolling a d6 to determine is it the low or the high and then i could roll seriously we can't just use the normal dice but i guess that's because it's a wacky game it uses wacky dice the only thing i had is the scenario we're playing wasn't this terribly wacky scenario a lot of wacky stuff happened a lot of craziness happened and i love the game i don't feel like i got the best feeling for what dcc actually is and to be honest the things that i did pick up it's like eh, i don't really need wacky dice i'm good with my i'm good with my regular dice set and as far as like games that are sort of like you, you die a lot and you have all these things i'm looking at sort of more modern modern games like shadow dark rpg or nave and i'm like i think i'd rather try those because the rules are so lightweight that I think you can have just as wacky a game with those, only it's whack, it, it, it's lightweight. Again, a lot of people love Dungeon Crawl Classics. A lot of people have been playing it. I don't think I got the best experience of what that system actually is. I hope to do it again. I would certainly play it again to see. Lastly, a friend of mine had an RPG that she's working on, and on Sunday, we got our whole group together. We got to sit down and enjoy and play this RPG. It was really fun. It's early yet. I really don't want to talk too much about it because she's going to be working on it a lot and, and hopefully bringing it out, but it was a really, really good time. Time. Feywild sort of adventure, another sort of interesting mystery that was going on, you know, really, really fun time with all of our friends. We really enjoyed it. And again, kind of a good sort of, it, her system, I would say, was actually relatively crunchy compared to like a dungeon world, which is very, very lightweight. But it was still interesting to see how that, that mix of like, what what's the level of mechanics that you need in order to have these really interesting stories to tell. So really fascinating ideas that are in that RPG that I would love to share and hopefully we'll one day share to talk more about, but I don't, I don't have permission to share about it yet. So I'm not going to talk about the details other than to say it was really fun. I really enjoyed it. And there's some very interesting ways that she handles the kind of traditional D20 stuff that I think could be a lot of fun for a lot of different genres of adventure. So really, really neat. So overall, it was really fun to play so many different RPGs in such a short period of time. I really enjoyed the games. It really showed me a lot about what the range of these games have to offer. These were all systems that I had seen or I'd heard about or were familiar with. I don't think that there was anything where I'm like, oh, you could definitely grab that mechanic and bring it into your 5e game, for example. But it did make me like really experience things. Probably the one big thing that I learned was that idea that like a detailed skill list is actually instructions to the players to talk about how to interact with the game. I, I think that's not... You know, that, that a lot of people probably already know that idea. For me, it was kind of a new, a new way of thinking about this thing that I have been doing for a long time. So I really had a good time. Let's do some Patreon questions. 
Every month on Sly Flourish, on the Sly Flourish Patreon, I put up a new thread for the month where we talk about where, where anybody can post a question related to RPGs. I answer every question there every Friday morning. Some of them I take and move to this show so we can talk about them, talk about them here. Sometimes they become articles or newsletters or other videos. This coming Monday is an article that was written on a Patreon's request at talking about how we do maps in in-person games. And I've spent months thinking about this question and working on this question. I spent a good piece of this weekend working on that question and the results are going to come out on Monday. In the newsletter, newsletter will be out on Tuesday, article will be out on Monday. Ryan says, any advice on how to handle a player questioning something I'm describing? An NPC motivation, the physics of the rules, etc. I have one player who occasionally, enough that I've noticed a pattern, immediately goes to, that doesn't make sense. Sometimes I react by engaging with them and explaining things that they clearly missed or I failed to previously communicate. Other times, I, perhaps a bit salty at being called out this way, instead just say, that's what they do, or, well, that's what happens. Yeah, this is one of those, so there's, there's layers to this, right? And one of the things that like our players need to remember, particularly players, this is probably a little harsh, who think they're smarter than we are or they're, they're decoding, they're trying to like crack the code of what we're saying. They're, they're trying to break that fourth wall of what we're saying, that we're humans. Like DM, GMs are humans and we, you know, we're making up a lot of this stuff. And like our physical boundaries of the things we're making up on the fly are probably not real solid because we don't have editorial phases. We don't sort of write it out and then go back and restructure it and say, oh, that doesn't make sense and change things. We're putting it right out there on the table and it's either happening or it isn't. So if it's a real problem with a particular player, there are things you can do. The things you're doing are probably about right. Sometimes you, you, you when they're saying that doesn't make sense. What they might be saying is, I don't understand what's really happening. And you could treat it that way of like, okay, I didn't make myself really clear, right? Like, you know, it's just a mannerism that they're saying. But then if they're saying it like in a confrontational way of like trying to do a gotcha, well, then it might be worth like during a session zero, reminding them of this fact that like, I'm a human being. A lot of things are moving pretty fast. Things are going to be pretty loose. I've had, I've, I've done this, right? Like when I describe my own GM style, I'm like a lot of times, like the seams are pretty stretched, right? Like they're, you know, they're, 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 I'm not super tight with like character arcs that are always super well done. There's lots of fuzzy things. I forget stuff. I go, oh yeah, there's that dude in the corner. You forgot to rescue him. Let's just say you did. There's stuff like that, that I forget about. There's NPCs who disappear because we forgot they were coming along. All kinds of stuff and character driven stuff. I had six players and we're moving fast and I don't have a lot of time to do tons and tons of detailed prep. So, you know, it can be pretty loose. So you could describe that during a session zero so that they get this idea like, okay, sometimes things aren't going to make perfect physical sense in our crazy ass fantasy world. If it becomes a particular problem with this player where you really feel like like it's taking away your joy of the game, it can be worth having that conversation between just the two of you to say, look, sometimes I feel like when you're bringing up the fact that, you know, things aren't bound too tightly, you don't need to call me out on it. It's hard enough for me to do this. And it really makes me feel like I'm not providing the game. If you're not having fun, that's something we can talk about. But if, if you're having the game, instead of saying that doesn't make sense. If it's not clear to you, you can ask me to clarify. But sometimes things just aren't going to make sense. And I hope you understand. And have that kind of conversation with them. You know, non-confrontational way. Don't point at them and saying, you're being a, a dork, right? Or you're being a prick. Instead, you know, describing them how you feel about it, describing the situation at the table, recognizing they have their own view, thinking that maybe when they're saying it doesn't make sense, what they're saying is I don't understand. Working through that to try to get it to a point where you're being happy. And of course, one result is, and this is always very hard, is when when you have a player that's really not helping you have fun at the game is have that conversation to say, I don't think this is the game for you. I, I think you're looking for a level of solidity in the pot that I can't provide. And maybe you might want to find that in another game. You know, try to figure that out. So hopefully it doesn't come to that. Ryan, hopefully you, you are able to come to a, a, a solution in a situation with your player where, where everybody can be happy and enjoying their game. Joseph C says, I'm starting a Dungeons of Drakenheim campaign soon, and there's some additional rules in it that are campaign specific. How do you go about helping to make sure that you and your players remember any campaign setting specific rules? I fear, I fear that we and they will fall into default D&D mode and end up forgetting about a lot of them. Handouts, printouts, reminders, or do I pause the game when needed to remind them and I try to remember for try to remember for them so i think that can certainly work that certain idea like pause for a minute don't don't forget that like when you go down into that mist i'm trying to remember my dungeon jackenheim stuff when you go down that mist weird things can happen or don't forget that there's these things of course a session zero and a good session zero write-up and making sure that you get that session zero right up in front of them something i was thinking about because i'm running a thematic focused game for for my two games currently is that when characters level 
it can help to remind them what the sources are that are allowed for them to level. So that I, I, in ours, we have a tendency of people grabbing spells that are not in the spell sets that we determine we're going to have for our campaign, i.e. not every spell in D&D Beyond is allowed in this campaign. And it doesn't tell you which ones are from which. And it's really hard. So describing this is when you were leveling your character, remember to go look at it this way. Don't look at it by going to the spell list. Look at it by the character class and working down because that's what's going to show you what you're actually able to get. So hitting it at certain points of the game where it matters, certainly pausing and saying this is where it goes, handling during that session zero, and then ask the players like, hey, I need your help, all of you, to remember these certain rules that we've got so that if we see that we're breaking them or we see that we're kind of going around them or see that we're forgetting about them, then maybe if you could bring it up just because I'm busy and I got a lot of things going on, I I forget, then they can, right? Then they they can remember that. I have to remember that we're using the new Tales of the Valiant luck system in our Scarlet Citadel game. So I have to kind of remind place please remember that we have this because i'll forget and then they go back oh yeah that's how we that we have that sort of thing so uh you know count on the players to help you remember these things too and then if everybody forgets maybe it's okay right maybe it didn't matter that much whatever that kind of weird rule was unless you all said oh that's really fun but we forgot probably if it was that much fun people would remember if people aren't remembering maybe it wasn't that much fun and it's okay for it to go away just some thoughts Bernie says in 5e, the DM as is the DM a storyteller or a referee? I always see a massive push for the latter among content creators, but I also love to create some plots and stories during the game. What's your take on this? Bernie, I don't think we are either a storyteller or a referee. Uh, I can't speak for everybody. I think I think different GMs have different styles that they bring to their games and they have different ways that they approach it. But I can tell you the way that I both like to do myself, the way that I tend to promote, the way that I would prefer for the GMs that run games for me, which is facilitators, not storytellers, not referees, but facilitators for the game. And what I mean by that is, the, the, to me, the role of the GM is to make sure that everybody at the table, including themselves, is having a good time watching a story get built together. If we consider ourselves the storyteller, we are taking too much responsibility for driving things forward, which means we're probably taking some agency away from the characters or from the players. I talked about my time with Dungeon World and Zach, who ran the game for us, and how he didn't come with anything. Definitely a facilitator. He was definitely in charge of the game and running things and helping us work through it. But he didn't have any idea what the story was going to be. And he was like, hey, how do we feel if we have the locations organized this way? He was a facilitator for storytelling. So I would I would suggest thinking of yourself as a facilitator for the game and for bringing your friends together, you and your friends together, so that all of you together can build a fun story and build a fun situation and grab onto those things that nobody expected and be able to move with them. That idea of GM as facilitator, I think is is the best role that I found that I enjoy, that I enjoy in other GMs when they're running it. Because referee makes it sound like it's just a game. Storyteller makes it sound like it's too railroady. So I would say that it's it's in between those things. You're still an arbiter. You're still in, in the one that kind of says like, no, that can't work that way, or this does work that way. But really, like the player should also be willing to say, oh yeah, you're right, that's not how that works. And other players should be free to say, nah, that spell doesn't work the way you think it works. Like you don't have to be the only arbiter, but I think you're also an arbiter of like what makes sense given the story and the situation. You're the one that sets DCs. You do those sort of things, but it's really like, I still think of that as the facilitator for the story that's taking place more than anything else. Think of yourself that way. I like to say to myself, I am just an antenna to another world. I am a, uh, you know, I am, I am here to help bridge the gap between the five of us or six of us sitting at a table and this other world that we're all creating in our minds together. And I'm the one that's kind of helping to channel these things together and making that solid. But again, that kind of gets back to facilitator. Cloaker says with zero GM tweaking of any kind, Rules is written and on a grid. Do you think that the majority of medium or higher difficulty combats for four tier two PCs can be consistently run in 45 minutes or less in 5e? If so or not, why? No. So, boy, that's a lot of constraints you gave me, Cloaker. And I don't know that anybody, I I don't know that I would recommend, I don't know that I would recommend anybody hold to those rules. That no tweaking of any kind, rules is written on a grid, I mean, first of all, can you run games on a grid? Sure, I run games on a grid, but it's not my only method. I have theater of the mind. I have abstract maps. I have lots of different, I have very detailed set piece Dwarven Forge encounters. I have, you know, just a couple of scratches on a piece of paper, just like football plays on a piece of paper. I do everything. And I think that to me, the flexibility of having all of those different ways to run combat 
gives you lots of tools to decide what kind of, you know, how to manage the story and the pacing of the game. And if you limit yourself to only combat on a grid, only using rules as written, you're basically saying, okay, if I run a hundred skeletons, I can't do that. I can't, it's too hard. It's, I don't have enough miniatures and I don't know how we'd, I don't know how we'd figure it out. So I'm not going to do a hundred skeletons, even though it makes sense that sometimes the characters fight a hundred skeletons and holy cow, is it fun for your characters to be standing on a hill fighting a hundred skeletons? Like that's a big, you know, the house of blue leaves scene from kill bill, the, you know, all the John wick movies, Conan and Subutai fighting off all of the armada of Thulsa doom's army. Like there's so many great scenes of two against many, right? Four against hundreds, you know, so many great times to do that. Why would you not want to have a system that lets you do that? Why would you not, why would you throw away a system that lets you tell a story like that or share a story like that? So in the same way that like, you don't need a grid when there's two bandits guarding a door and they're half drunk playing a dice game and nobody remembers the rules. And you think both of them are playing two different games that they don't know it. And your group walks up. Maybe you don't need to roll initiative for that. Maybe you just kind of work through like what's going to happen. So you know so so when we say like zero gm tweaking of any kind rules is written and on a grid i think we're really limiting ourselves but the answer is if you stick to those rules if you say no tweaking of any kind i.e you're not playing with the dials rules is written as you're not changing stat blocks you're not moving things around you're sticking to what you have and on a grid can you regularly can you, you think the majority of medium or higher difficulty combats for four tier two pcs can be consistently run in 45 minutes or less i would say no I would say most likely those battles are going to go over for 45 minutes. So they're going to take a long time because the setup is going to take a long time. That, that, that scenario that we created there is going to take a long time, but that's why we have things like theater of the mind and abstract maps and other, other ways that we can handle it because we want to have some combats where it's only 15 minutes. We might have other ones that are like an hour and a half. I ran big battles on Saturday, on Saturday night, Friday night, Friday night, two big battles. And they took a long time. Right, with four hour game, we have four and a half hours. We had two fights, but there were big fights, big fights, high tier characters. It took a while, and that was theater of the mind. It was abstract map. We kind of have an abstract. We had zones and stuff like that, but it was no physical display. It was like a listing of of where the zones are, and it still took a really long time to kind of manage that. Now a lot of story stuff was happening among that because we had a big focus on story. So I would say no, because you know the the, the constraints that are in that question are going to lead you to more often towards fights that are going to take more than 45 minutes. But I implore you, and I know you probably, you, you know what, you wouldn't have said the question the way you said it if you didn't know the other things that I brought up. Monster dials, theater of the mind, abstract maps, running hordes of monsters, and you know, how, do you, how do you arbitrate hordes of monsters? There's all of these different tools that I've made available that are all in that lazy GM resource document, by the way. All the things I just talked about are in that lazy GM resource document. That there's so many different ways that you can scope and scale and you know, build situations any way that you want, and they can still happen quickly, and you can, you can change the pacing of your game. I think we would be handcuffing ourselves to say that we're not going to use any of those things because that's what makes us tell or share a really compelling story at a pacing that really makes sense for the real lifetime that we have in the game. Good question, Cloaker. And I'm not picking on you. Keep that in mind. Not, I, I know I'm saying like these things, but you know, like I said, I, you know what I, you, you know my stuff or you wouldn't have said the question the way you said it. And I know you're probably not thinking of it that way. So I'm not knocking you. MTBDM says, I'm running a nautical island hopping campaign. Each of the islands has a plethora of really wonderful hooks and possibilities. One character has a wanderlust trait that keeps wanting to rush onto the next island and bypass tons of prep each time. It's mildly frustrating. Any tips? If you offer the hook, you're responsible for having something there. So part of it is like, if, if they have a background that draws them to that, I, I, you know, you can, I would be more careful about the hooks that you put out there. And, you know, structuring the game. So, so one thing, because I think we had another question that was similar to this of like, I have this big open world, but there's a plot that goes this direction, but they're not following the plot. And now things aren't working out. And it's like, if you really wanted an open world, it's open world and they can explore whatever they want. If they're enjoying the time exploring what they, what they, what they really want, then that can be really fun. If you, but if you offer hooks and you offer interesting threads, it behooves you to either have them prepped out a little bit or have a good system to kind of fill it out quickly when they go there. And there's like a lot you can do with like a Dyson logos map and some random tables from like lazy DMs companion or lazy GM resource document. You, you can build a lot of stuff, a lot of hooks, and then a lot of like the lore of your world that you can sort of wrap on that treasure generators, everything else. So, you know, how fast can you build one of these quick layers? And maybe for your particular kind of game, you have the components of those ready 
so that if they do go in that direction, you're ready to go. Now, if it's really like the character is going, one area where you might have some trouble is that all the other players want to go one way and they always want to go to another. That might need a little work and you might need to sit down and say, look, you know, again, pause for a minute. As a group, I think it would work best if the whole group, I want you guys to be able to go to different places, but you need a good way to kind of manage the fact that one of you wants to always go a different direction than the others. That might be something where it, out of character is worth stopping and saying, let's pause for a minute let's talk about this let's figure out what we want and let's go there so i think that that can be there but you know boy a dyson logo map and there's a thousand of them literally a thousand dyson logo maps you can grab and some random tables and some secrets and clues that that can that can wrap your world around it that can you wrap you know they can wrap whatever this place is and then some random treasure some interesting monsters some interesting stuff to fight you know you could build a couple of these layers you might and then say like how fast could you sit and like build out a quick, you know, a quick layer that if they want to go there, they can, they can go, you know, that, that might be interesting. And then at what point is it best to recognize when they want to go to this other place and say like, how about you pick that at the end of the game so that I know what we can have prepared for next time. After some Twitch chat here and looking at the question. So maybe the issue is that the, each island has lots of different things to do, but the Wanderlust character just wants to jump to the next island instead of doing the ones that are here. So I think in that case, that is a good example where to sit with the player and say, can you steer the wanderlust you know, drive towards the stuff that's on this island or that you really don't know of another island or there's not a good way to get there? A lot of video games, like you think about like the old Grand Theft Auto games, you think about a lot of sort of open world role-playing games where areas aren't accessible until you've done some certain things. So you could sort of lock an island and say, there's just no ship or the big storm, big storms out there. We don't go that way, you know, and you can, you can lock off these certain areas and they go, oh, why, why, why do I really want to go there? Well, you, there isn't a way to do it. So instead it's like maybe once they've done three or four different things in this, that at that point it opens up a new Island so that you can say like, you know, try to, you try to steer their wanderlust towards the stuff that's on the current Island, but lock off the other, maybe they hear about it, but they also, while they hear about it, they also hear there isn't a good way to get there yet. There's not a good way to get to the other side of the Island. You're right. Scipio says the winds and the currents aren't viable for travel over there. There's not a good way to get there. Or maybe the Island isn't even, it's not even known where they are. You have to go find the map to it. If you want to learn more about this Island, you're going to have to piece together these three pieces of the map. They're in these three separate dungeons protected by three pirate Lords, stuff like that. So it's okay. I'm, you know, in, in that sense, like when people talk about truly open world versus like sandbox versus, you know, linear kind of games, one of the, I, I really like the idea of having like three or four different locations the characters can go that sort of keep the other locations locked until they've done them. The structure, I've talked about the structure of like Dragon of Icespire Peak, in which you have these like three quests at a time. You can pick any two. Once you pick two, the third one goes away and three new quests comes out and it sort of unlocks different experiences that you can get. So that way you're not building these totally open worlds and there isn't a way to get there. So that, that might be that might be a way that I would do it. So MTDM, good question. And folks in Twitch, thank you for for steering my, my, my understanding of this question better to make it more useful. Friends, I I want to thank you all for hanging out with me today while we talked about all things in RPGs. I really hope you enjoyed this show. If you did and you want more material like this and more tips and tricks, please subscribe to the Sly Flourish newsletter. It is absolutely free to do. You'll get a free adventure generator PDF sent directly to your inbox and you will get a weekly RPG related newsletter sent to your inbox every Tuesday. You can also support me directly on Patreon. Patrons get access to the City of Arches sourcebook, a dedicated Discord server, this the monthly Patreon Q&A, Uncovered Seekers Volume 1 and 2, tons of different material that patrons get access to. But most of all, they help me put on shows like this. So you too can help me put on shows like this by supporting me on Patreon. Or you can pick up any of my books at the Sly Flourish Bookstore, which includes The Lazy DM's Companion, The Lazy DM's Workbook, and of course, Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master. Thank you all very much. Have a great day and get out there and play an RPG.